show, I'd like to welcome listeners to another episode on security clearance appeals. This is your host, Alan Edmonds. I'm an attorney that's been practicing uh, security clearance law and military law for over 45 years. And I am absolutely delighted to uh, bring this important episode to you. I want to give you a little bit of background about this episode. It's the result of uh, your phone calls. And this last week has been a interesting week because I received a plethora of phone calls about problems and mistakes that people have made. And they come so frequently that I decided to reduce this to a podcast for you because the mistakes in the security clearance process can be deadly and uh, deadly as far as uh, the death of your security clearance, uh, the death of uh, an appeal, all because of simple mistakes that people make because they don't understand the process. And I have been trying to, over the last oh, two or three months, alert you to the fact that the security clearance process, which is promulgated uh, by the national security directives, is uh, a body of regulations, and they are directed to all people, but specifically uh, to individuals seeking a clearance and their lawyers. And they're written more or less for lawyers to understand and to comply with. Uh, they try and make them simplified so that uh, normal uh employees, federal employees or contractors can understand and navigate these rules. But I'm going to give you some examples today of what the government thinks is uh, pretty easy to understand. And then you can make your own, uh, draw your own conclusions. Uh, A week ago, I did the number one mistake that people make. And number one was a difficult label to put on that mistake. It's very, very, uh, serious when you fail to elect the right to a hearing. So many of you uh, take the easy road and say, well, I'm going to submit my appeal in writing and I'm going to waive my right to a hearing. And in that last episode, I told you that is just a colossal mistake. You should never waive your right to a hearing. Some people call and say, well, will you tell me what to do? And I am very, very honest and straightforward and say, I can't. I can't give you legal advice unless you're a client of the firm and uh, I need to know more information. So I'm not gonna shoot from the hip. This isn't a gunfight at the OK Corral. I'm not going to make uh, rash uh, decisions or opinions in your case without talking to you and getting some background. But the number one mistake that I see that uh, short circuits and causes a revocation or denial and a clearance is when an individual has sent in the SF-86, the EKIP, and uh, they get a statement of reasons, an SOR, or a NOPA, which is a notice of proposed action, or a document that says, you are being found unsuitable, you have to respond to it. And um, they're given a choice in some of these documents to either respond in writing or request a hearing. 
And most people, because they're not lawyers, they don't want to go to a courtroom. They don't want to uh, be against a U.S. attorney. They don't know how to uh, prepare a trial notebook. They don't know how to introduce evidence. And they don't know how to uh, ask questions in a um, proper format in the courtroom. They say, no, I'm not going to go to a hearing. I am going to pick uh, an appellate response, which will be in writing. That's a huge mistake. And uh, I don't want you to make that in the future, okay? Uh, And now today we pick up from that because uh, I've gotten many calls and many situations. And I'm just going to highlight some of the mistakes that people make and some of the situations that seem to tackle you in your process of getting a clearance. And it's all based on a misapplication of the regulations, also a misunderstanding of those regulations, but also placing your trust and confidence in somebody that's not on your side. This is a uh, system that's based on advocacy. It's antagonistic. The government is coming after your clearance. And for many of you, you try and make friends with a government attorney. That's a huge mistake. And that's one that I haven't even listed in the five mistakes I want to talk to you about today. But uh, the government attorneys are not your friend. They love it when you call up and say, hi, I'm representing myself. They're so stoked they can't get over it because this is going to be an easy case. And you're going to leave the courtroom absolutely destroyed and devastated but more importantly, you're going to leave without a clearance. So that's a mistake. Don't don't think that the government attorney is going to help you. They are not going to help you. That's not their job. They're not evil people, but they have a job to do, and the job is to take your clearance. Uh, so don't think a government attorney is here to help you. The second mistake that people make is they rely so heavily on their security officer their FSO, field security officer, or their SO, security officer. Um, They come with a variety of labels, or if you're in the military, the S2. But these people are not there to walk you through the process or save your clearance. That's not their job. And some of you think, oh, I'm going to make friends with these people, and they're my best friend, and they're going to walk me through this. And by golly, they're going to help me keep my clearance. Well, that's not going to happen. And uh, I don't want you to find that out at the cost of your clearance. And that's precisely what can happen. The next thing I want to caution you to uh, about, and again, here I am talking about mistakes that aren't even on my list. I haven't even gotten to the list yet. But another mistake is uh, a detrimental reliance on your union representatives. The union representatives are nice people, but they aren't lawyers. Uh, They don't go to hearings. Uh, They don't read case law. Uh, They're just not skilled advocates. And some of you, because you want to avoid paying a little bit of money, you you use a union rep. And uh, I've had people call up and say, the union rep fell asleep in my hearing. And then you lose your clearance. And yeah, you saved some money, but you also lost your job. So you lost a lot more than what you could have uh, saved. So I want to caution you against uh, those three types of mistakes, relying on the government attorney to walk you through or tell you what evidence uh, you have to submit, um, relying on a 
uh, union rep to help you or relying on your FSO. That's not their job. They're all nice people. I'm not disparaging them, but that's not what they're getting paid for. And if you look at their job description, you won't find any language in the job description of a government attorney that says he must counsel, advise you, and suggest to you how to navigate the uh, hearing process, nor with the FSO. The field security officer has a affirmative duty to report things to the federal government that could raise issues of national security. So please orient yourself, okay? This is a little bit of a verbal shakeup uh, of you out there in, in uh, my audience. Uh, I'm shaking your shoulders right now and saying, please appreciate the process. So today we're going to look at some uh, other mistakes. We've already covered uh, waiving a hearing. I told you, please never, ever waive a hearing. Um, I've also started to talk to you about field security officers. These are the people that are in the organizations that you work for, private uh, organizations, DOD contractors, or uh, those individuals at government agencies. And the FSO is basically uh, in the position of giving you that package called uh, eyes only. And uh, it has documents in there that include a statement of reasons and other information. Uh, but the FSO is uh, delivering that to you. But one of the mistakes that many of you make, and I, I see it all the time, I've been doing this over 40 years, is that you take your answer. Let's say you are representing yourself. You've decided that you are going to respond to the SOR, the allegations that the government has raised uh, against you for either uh, alcohol, drugs, indebtedness, um, failure to uh, handle classified material, uh, having uh, emotional or mental problems, uh, having sexual behavior problems. You've decided you're going to answer that yourself. You do a written response, uh, and then you give it to the FSO. And you think, wow, done deal. I've given it to the FSO. Well, you wouldn't know or wouldn't believe how many times the FSO does not forward your package to the Fort Meade uh, Consolidated Adjudication Facility or DCSA. They just don't do it. And uh, there's a myriad of reasons why they don't. I'm not going to get into it. But if you just trust your future and your job to an FSO and you do not uh, take steps to protect your career with that response, then you could have a very serious problem. And we have clients call us and say, my FSO did not forward my package and I've been marched out of my job. They, I've been told that I no longer have a clearance and I did the response. There was no adjudication and I never got an opportunity to go to a hearing or anything. I was just told to clear out my desk and they marched me out of my office. All because the applicant trusted uh, an FSO or security officer with delivering the package up the chain of command and it didn't occur. And they never followed up on it. So that's the second problem. 
The first problem I told you about was waiving your right to a hearing. The second problem I told you was uh, the field security officer or your S2. The military S2 uh, individuals are, they have collateral duties. They have a variety of activities. They also can be uh, uh, TAD. They've been given assignments out of the area and your response to statement of reasons or your response to a LOI, a letter of intent, uh, doesn't get sent up the chain of command. Therefore, it doesn't get adjudicated or reviewed and you lose. For many of my clients in the military, especially officers, you lose your clearance, you lose your job, you're out of the service. For those of you that work for Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman, uh, brilliant scientists, computer uh, programmers, uh, engineers, you lose your clearance, you lose your job. So this is hardball and I want you to appreciate that. I have almost more enthusiasm and passion about saving your career than some of my clients because they simply misperceive the process. So the FSO is a big concern. Your S2 is a big concern. What are we talking about? You're trusting them to deliver your package uh, to Fort Meade or to the agency that is going to review it and they don't do it. The next uh, item that I want to talk about, about mistakes that I want you to avoid, has to do with uh, the SOR. If you read the SOR on the last page, it has very specific um, information about how to respond, when to respond, and where to send it. And many of you uh, gloss over that or don't uh, follow those instructions. And I'm here to tell you that there are some agencies that are absolutely difficult and uh, extremely severe when dealing with uh, misfeasance or mistakes that you make. NRO, NSA, and NGA come to mind. Um, you miss a deadline with these agencies, you're done. Um, you ask for an extension, but you do it the wrong way. You don't get the extension. You don't know you didn't get the extension, but you think you got it. You're done. Um, you miss a request uh, to NRO for a hearing, or you put it in a format that's unacceptable, you're done. And there is no second chances 90% uh, of the time with these agencies. They're very, very difficult. They're not only difficult for you, but they're difficult for some lawyers that don't have the experience. And uh, their clients get denied a adjudicative right, such as a hearing, and all because the request was improperly submitted. So deadlines are huge, and you'll find them on the last page of your statement of reasons or your notice of proposed action that you've received from the government. But I, I want to I also share with you some other things. If you've uh, requested a hearing and you get a hearing, it's been granted, and you're representing yourself, then you get what's called a case management order. And this is a document that uh, is generated by a judge. And the judge has very specific um, 
deadlines that you must abide by. And so I just want to read you uh, some of these deadlines. And it, uh, I'm reading from an actual case management order on a case that we have in our office. And uh, page uh, one, paragraph three says, all pre-hearing motions and responses to motions to include proposed amendments to the statement of reasons, adding additional allegations must be provided to the applicant and the administrative judge at least five working days before the hearing. That's just one sentence and look at what's included there. As a listener, do you know how to prepare a motion for a security clearance hearing? Do you know how to respond to a motion filed by the government? Or what would you do if after the government gets your response to SOR and you basically said too much or you said things that weren't contained in the SOR and suddenly the government files an amendment to the SOR and what are they doing? They're adding additional allegations. Well, where did they get those allegations from? They got them from your answer, your response. You didn't do a good job. You thought you were doing a great job, but you said too much or you said it improperly and you opened up the door to other allegations. And the government does this all the time. They can amend their SOR and add allegations. And they do it because what is their primary goal? What is the government's primary goal? And what is the government attorney's primary goal? It's to take your clearance. It's to make sure your clearance is denied or revoked. And they're going to do everything in their power throughout this whole process to get your clearance. So now we know we have a five working day deadline for motions. Then uh, the judge goes on in this case, page one of this case management order. You get one in every hearing. Copies of exhibits each party intends to offer during the hearing must be provided to the administrative judge and the opposing party at least two business days before the hearing. Well, that, that assumes a lot right there. Number one, it assumes that you know how to decide what exhibits should be presented and which ones should not. There are a lot of people that throw every piece of paper at the judge, and I see what they've done because I handle their appeals when they lose. And some of the exhibits were absolutely detrimental or negative for their case. And they didn't think so, but they were. And so how you present or what you present is really important. And then how do you bundle those exhibits? And that's something else that a lot of people don't know. And then you have this deadline that the exhibits must be served on the opposing side at least two business days before the hearing. The judge goes on to say, a witness list must be provided at least two business days before the hearing. Well, who are your witnesses? What witnesses are good and what witnesses are bad for your case? 
And how do you decide that? How do you vet your witnesses? How do you prepare them? How do you know when a witness is going to hurt your case instead of help your case? And then once you get past those hurdles, how do you know what to say on a witness list? There's language that has to appear on the list. The judge doesn't tell you what it is. Why is that? Because the judge's job is not to hold your hand. The judge is not here to tell you what pleadings have to be filed, what language should be used in those pleadings, and how those pleadings should be prepared. So again, we're getting hit with these rules that the average person is just going to get destroyed trying to comply with. And if they don't, their case is harmed. So this, this whole episode is about mistakes. And um, that's what I wanted to uh, talk about relative to a court hearing. I want to get back to another mistake that is frequently made. It has to do with the FSO again, but it also has to do with the court. And that is you have to serve documents on a variety of people. That means serving is just another way of saying these documents have got to be delivered to certain people in a certain format and you've seen by a certain deadline. But what happens if you send your documents to the wrong person? Or what happens if you send your documents to the wrong email and they don't arrive? Well, the problem is colossal because the documents don't arrive and then you come into court or you say to the government, well, my documents didn't get served, but I want to send them again. And they say, we're sorry, you missed the deadline. So these are some of the uh, very serious mistakes that can be made. You can reach me at 800-481-2526. Many of you know we have resources that are free, including this podcast on a variety of platforms, Apple and Spotify. And we also have uh, short videos on YouTube under Edmunds Law. I do this for you. I do this to help you because your clearance is important. Uh, your family relies on your paycheck. And when you represent yourself, as Abraham Lincoln would say, you've got a, a lousy lawyer. So this is an opportunity here for you to uh, understand the process more fully and to appreciate the risks. I hope you call us 800-481-2526. We represent clients around the globe, uh, active duty military, and civilian contractors that are deployed to Afghanistan, uh, all over, and people from India, Pakistan, and Europe. Um, we have uh, contacts in those countries to help you, and uh, we stand ready to help you. Uh, please call us, 800-481-2526. Thank you very much for listening.